Good morning. Thank you. <laughs> um, in case you don't know me, I, my name's Morag, and uh, I'm one of the family here at Kingdom Vineyard, and I have the joy and privilege to share the word with you this morning. Um, we're in the midst of our teaching series on John's Gospel. So we're in the middle of what's commonly called the farewell discourse, the teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples between the Last Supper and his arrest, the things that he thought were so important to tell his disciples in his last few hours with them. And boy, do I feel like I've drawn the short straw. You're not going to believe this. Do you ever wish there were passages in the Bible that you just wish weren't there? I actually have three categories. I have the the bloody and violent sections of the Old Testament, the mind-bending things in the New Testament, and then there's passages like the ones today where the message is really clear and really, really uncomfortable. Let's read the passage and you'll see what I mean. Our reading today is from John chapter 15 verse 18 to chapter 16 verse 4. It will be on the screen but you can feel free to read along in your paper or digital copy. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, The world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You will be hated, you will be persecuted, put out of the synagogue, and even killed. Oh boy. Over the last few weeks, we've started to hear Jesus talk about the helper, the advocate that will come. He said, it's good news that I go away because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The bad news is you're going to need him. First of all, bear in mind that context is everything. 
Sure, taking this passage in isolation is terrifying. But remember the lead up to this passage. Jesus promises the disciples that he will go and prepare a place for them. He promises them the Holy Spirit. He promised to give them his peace and his joy that will be in them and it will be complete. And then coming in the next bit of chapter 16 is more about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And by the way, you are not going to want to miss next week. No pressure, Phil. <laughs> but this week, in the midst of all that, Jesus gives his disciples this stark warning. In actual fact, I think he's being quite kind, a kind of forewarned is forearmed. If you're going to face a difficult situation, it's helpful to have an idea in advance of what you'll be in for. For example, my niece, who's 16 years old and currently sitting her higher exams, this week she's been back to her old primary school to speak to the P7s that are going up to high school, giving them an idea of what to expect and reassuring those who think that that is the terrifying leap into the unknown. And more seriously, if you're facing a difficult medical diagnosis, how helpful is it to have a nurse or a doctor who can explain everything to you that's about to happen? Or better yet, to speak to somebody who's been through the same thing. So Jesus gives them this warning of what they're going to face. If the world hates you, Remember, it hated me first. You're not of the world because I've called you out of the world, and so it hates you. Note that when John talks of the world, he means human society organizing itself without God. Or as I think Jim put it last week, the organized systems that are under the power of this world, the devil, as opposed to those that belong to our rightful king, Jesus. The lives that the disciples will lead as they continue bringing God's kingdom will be an offense to these systems. Jesus goes on to say in verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. And in verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. The hatred that is coming for the disciples is part of the bigger picture of humanity's rebellion against the Father himself. I read this quote in one of the commentaries this week. This hatred is the human no to the, to the divine yes expressed in the mission of the Son. Jesus demonstrates the kingdom and the works of the Father, but still they reject him and the Father who sent him. Jesus quotes the Psalms in verse 25. They hated me for no reason. The disciples would know the Psalms pretty well, and Jesus often quotes them, knowing that they will bring th certain things to their minds, they things that they probably learnt when they were kids. And here I think Jesus wants the disciples to remember the way that the Psalmists cry out to God in their difficulties and in spite of those difficulties they praise him because they know that God is ultimately in control a good thing to hold on to in the troubles that are coming we think that this quote might have come from Psalm 69 and as an example I just want to use this 
Psalm 69 starts like this. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. But the same psalm ends. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah. And people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it. And those who love his name shall dwell in it. For the psalmist, his troubles haven't gone away, but still, in the midst of all, he continues to praise God for his goodness. That's what Jesus wants the disciples to remember. Verse 26 brings again the promise of the Holy Spirit. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And the NIV helper is translated advocate, which as I think we've heard before, both come from the Greek paraclete. Now, I'm not sure how familiar you all are with the Scottish legal system. I am quite familiar, purely for professional reasons, I want to add, just put, put that there. But in Scottish courts, we do have legal representatives who are called advocates. They're equivalent to the barristers in England and Wales. But I do think it's a helpful image here as the role of advocate is twofold. To explain all the procedures and processes of the courts and the law to their client and also the expert presentation of the legal arguments to the court. We're told here that the spirit of truth will bear witness about me. And I think that is also twofold. To remind the disciples what it is they believe and what they're standing for, everything that Jesus taught them, and also to present their case, their defense to the world. In Matthew's gospel, it even says that the Holy Spirit will supply the defense before their courts by giving them the words to say. This is Matthew chapter 10, verse 18 to 21 and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. The other role of the Holy Spirit as advocate who reminds the disciples of all Jesus taught them is crucial in the light of the next few verses. They will put you out of the synagogues and will try to kill you because they think 
That is what God wants. Being put out of the synagogues for the disciples would mean the end of their normal lives as they knew it. They would be excluded from all normal social interactions of community and even of family. And they would be regarded as so off the path, so off the mark, so offensive to normal life that some people would think that the only remedy was to kill them. In that situation, you might have cause to doubt yourself. Am I right? And everyone else is wrong? Or is it me that's got it wrong? Or is this trouble really worth it? The presence and witness of the Holy Spirit to your spirit would be essential, don't you think? And as I said, I think Jesus is being very kind, trying to warn them so that they wouldn't be taken by surprise by what's coming their way. And all the other Gospels contain similar warnings from Jesus. Matthew 10, verse 22, Mark 13, verse 13, and Luke 21, verse 17, all say exactly the same thing. You will be hated by all for my sake. The points I think Jesus is making in this section of his farewell teaching is don't be surprised by persecution and don't worry, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit will be with you. And I don't think it's a great stretch to see how this passage might apply to us today. If you're new to Christianity or even just exploring faith, this is the full picture. The benefits of following Jesus are amazing. The, the peace and the joy that he gives, nothing else, nothing else comes even close. But he doesn't promise you a trouble-free life. I wish he did. And he does warn you that if you follow him, some people will hate you for no other reason than your faith in him. But the same points he made to the disciples apply to us. Don't be surprised and don't worry, you're not alone. In this country, we are afforded some protection in law and freedom of speech to live out our faith. But if you scroll down on any Christian post on Facebook, you can quickly see the mocking abuse and downright hatred that comes from some people. Can we have the first slide? There he is. You might recognize this guy. And I've been trying to find a way to slot him into my sermon all week. <laughs> um, I wish I had a video clip of him, but techno technology defeated me anyway. This is um, Bishop Michael Curry, and he spoke at the royal wedding last weekend. He preached powerfully on the power of love. And while he was preaching, the coverage showed faces of the royal family and those in the congregation. And I don't think they were mocking, I just think they were genuinely shocked that they'd never heard anything like it preached at a royal wedding before. But the Twitter sphere, as they call it, erupted. There were 40,000 tweets a minute during the sermon. That's more than half a million during the 13 minutes he spoke for. And they ranged from great support and love to great offense and absolute hatred. 
but Bishop Curry preached to 18 million viewers in the UK, 26 million viewers in the US, and over 100 million worldwide. How amazing is that? And for those who are listening on the recording, I just want to read the quote that I've put up there from his sermon. I think it's brilliant. Someone once said that Jesus began the most revolutionary movement in human history, a movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world and a movement mandating people to live that love and in so doing to change not only their lives but the very life of the world itself. I'm talking about power, real power, power to change the world. And if you haven't heard his sermon, it really is worth a listen. I don't, I don't do it justice at all. His delivery was everything. But how could anyone respond to this message of love with hatred? Why is this revolutionary message of God's love so threatening? I think John explained the response to this message earlier in his gospel. This is what it says in John chapter 3, verse 19 to 21 in the message. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. But anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light so the work can be seen for the God work it is. Some of the hatred that comes our way is part of humanity's general rejection of God the systems of the world set against the kingdom of God. But I think we need to be careful about what we call persecution. As I saw quoted the other day, sometimes Christians today say that they are being persecuted for the sake of God, when in fact they are being rejected merely because they are obnoxious. And calling that persecution can make light of the fact that many Christians are undergoing the most horrid persecution and suffering for their faith. In the next slide. This information comes from Open Doors International. 215 million Christians experience high levels of persecution in the countries on the world watch list. That's a list from Open Doors of the 50 countries in the world with the worst treatment of Christians. This represents one in 12 Christians worldwide. Every month, 255 Christians are killed, 104 are abducted, 180 Christian women are raped, sexually assaulted, or forced into marriage. 66 churches are attacked. 160 Christians are detained without trial and imprisoned. 
What sustains people in these situations? I don't know. I don't even know how I would react in those situations. Do you think we'd fall away and deny our faith? I'd like to think not, but I can tell you the only way would be through the strength of the Holy Spirit, the helper, our advocate. And in the face of this, we can see how fortunate we are and how we should never take our freedoms for granted. Open Doors has information on its website on how we can pray for those being persecuted. Their mission is that no one facing persecution should be forgotten. These are the obvious and very visible ways that the world hates Christians. But as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We have an unseen enemy. As Jim mentioned last week, when we as individuals, and especially as the church, put our heads above the parapet, seeing people come to know Jesus, changing lives through acts of kindness at storehouse, consistently inviting and seeing God's presence come in our worship, baptizing people, the devil does not like it. He doesn't like to be reminded that he is defeated and will do anything to hold on to the power he thinks he's got in the world. Now for us, that can look like illnesses, difficulties in our home and family lives or in work, or what I can experience is a barrage of negative thoughts, which I know are not true, but I find it hard to to shake off. In fact, if you have a weakness, that's usually where you'll feel attacked or overwhelmed. Now, I'm not trying to frighten anyone or to start blaming every problem on demons, but I just think we should be aware. As Jesus has told us, don't be surprised. We have an enemy. And as Jesus promised, we are not alone. First of all, we have the Holy Spirit, that advocate who reminds us who we are and whose we are, children of God, and reminding our enemy who he's dealing with if he messes with God's kids. And secondly, we have each other. It is no accident that God places us in community. We've got ministry time on a Sunday morning, praying for one another in home group. That's where we man the defenses and post watchmen on the walls to look out for one another. I was telling some folks in home group this week, um, I was struggling with those negative thoughts that I mentioned. And I was feeling quite overwhelmed. And I hadn't really told anyone because, to be frank, I was ashamed. I was worried that people would think I couldn't cope. And it was absolute lies, as I can see now. I gave in and I rallied my troops. I have a WhatsApp group 
where we post up prayer requests and encourage each other. So I got them on board. And after I did that, a couple of days later, I was still struggling, but when I was praying, I almost felt physically supported. It was like if I could, if I leant back, I would actually feel that there was something there. And I believe that that was prayer. So I encourage you, be part of a home group where you can be supported. Come up for prayer on a Sunday morning. Share with a group of friends. Rally the troops. Don't be alone. You are not alone. As Jesus told his disciples in his last hours with them, he tells us today, don't be surprised when the world hates you. But when it does, don't worry. You are not alone. Why don't you stand and I'll pray for us. want to say if you are feeling in any way under attack or overwhelmed then please come forward for prayer we will quickly rally around you come beside you and pray with you if you need prayer for anything for physical healing emotional healing um, any reason at all please come up for prayer we will rally the troops So come, Holy Spirit, come as you promised. Be with us in the midst of life, whatever that looks for us right now. Be our advocate. Remind us of all God's promises and who we are in Christ. And defend us and protect us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.